0: You ever have a love-hate relationship with something? I love hate this morning. Sounds weird. Let me explain before you guys get up and walk away. I hate that the Muirs can't be here this morning. So that our children's ministry is 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 dark back there. There's nothing back there. I hate coming to church without my own family. I can't, I can't tell you how alone it makes me feel to not have my kids here and my wife here. Um I love making her blush while I preach because I say something funny or semi-inappropriate and she thinks that, you know, God's going to strike me dead as I stand here. It's fun. It adds to the flavor of the morning. I hate that so many people are sick today, that, that the flu bug is going around and people are just, uh, you know, they're, they're just getting sick and kids are getting sick. And, you know, I hate that, that uh, it's just it's not a normal quote unquote morning. But see, I love it too. Because I find that God does the greatest things when nothing's going our way. When everything – when we try to plan everything out and everything just falls to pieces, it's as though God is reminding us that he's the one who is the star of the show. He's the hero of the story. He's the one who's going to bring this all together. Our best efforts, we should do our best. But without Jesus – we're just having a, a, a gathering. We're just, we're just coming together as a group. But with Jesus, we become the church. And the church is so much more than, than, than a building or a place or a time. It's a people united with Jesus. And that's who we are. So on the one hand, man, I wish everybody was here. On the other hand, God must be really wanting to do something great. He must really want to take us, us few here today. And and teach us something grand so that we might go out and teach it to others. I'm reminded of the story of Gideon. Are you guys familiar with the story of Gideon? He had uh, he didn't have enough soldiers to fight an army that he was supposed to fight. And God kept taking away his soldiers. He got down to like 300 guys to fight tens of thousands. And God gave him the victory. And now, today, thousands of years later, we don't say, wow, Gideon was such a great warrior. No, we say, wow, God saved Gideon. God God showed up to save Gideon when there was only 300 men to fight alongside him. God somehow took that little tiny group and defeated a nation. And so I wish things were a little different, but I'm glad I know Jesus is going to do something cool. Amen? All right, so open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, verse 26. Um if at any time you need to take Vincent out or anything go right ahead. You you're no big deal. I'm going to try to keep this brief today too, but that doesn't to really turn out too well. First John chapter 2 verse 26. We're going to learn about the Holy Spirit today. Some of you guys old you know King James version older generation, love you, respect you. Great wisdom to be found in you. Some of you refer to him as the Holy Ghost because in the new in the King James version that's how he's referenced. And then in the newer translations, it's Holy Spirit. I love the, the, the Holy Ghost uh, name. And so we want to know the Holy Ghost. We want to know the Holy Spirit. Same, same person, uh, even though they've got different names. We're going to learn about how he has been sent to us to teach us. Outside of the Bible, I have a real hard time teaching. When it comes to teaching the Bible, I'm not here to toot my own horn, but I do feel a gifting to be able to teach the Bible to folks, to take the, the word of God and, and to state it simply, to not overcomplicate it, overpollute it, to add my own opinions. Um, for me, it's, it's not that complicated. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying it really comes down to, well, this is what it says. I, I'm like a repeater. You know, God said this, 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 and this. I'm just repeating what he said. To me, that's teaching the Bible. Um, um, outside of that, though, I have a hard time teaching. I've tried to teach people how to play guitar. I've tried to teach people how to draw. I've, I, I We homeschool our children, so I, I teach them uh, periodically. Me and my wife kind of go back and forth on that. It's really hard. Anybody here struggle with teaching? Teaching is hard. Sometimes I see something happening in my head. I know exactly what needs to be done, but articulating it can be so hard. It can be so difficult to just express what's happening in my mind. A lot of people theorize, you know, it's Super Bowl Sunday, so let's use some football analogies. That that, that athletes that are that excel, that are, that are the the, the best of the best, your Michael Jordan's. You know, your Jerry Rices, your your Willie Mays, your Mickey Mantles. They'd be the best coaches because obviously they're successful as a player. You find that they're the worst coaches. You know why? Because they can't understand why other people can't perform at their level. When they tell somebody, do this, this, and this, for them it's it's their nature. But somebody else is trying to adapt to it and I don't, I can't, and it just frustrates them. The best coaches are the ones who usually are are your 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 blue collar middle of the road players that see potential in other people who are who have the ability to to go beyond their physical limitations to get the best out of somebody else. And, and when it comes to teaching, it's much the same. That that we 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 might know things, but just articulating them are so hard. We might be professionals at what we do. But that doesn't mean that teaching is really easy. You might be in a place where you're, you're struggling to learn the Bible. And, and you, it's not through lack of effort. You, you know that just to read your Bible. You know that you need to uh, give attention to what God has said. But being taught, there's a breakdown. There's something missing. And so today I want to remind you and encourage you and reintroduce you to the Holy Spirit. It is His job to teach you. I praise God that he has given us teachers to teach us, to, to make the ways of God simple for us to adapt to, to, to take something so complex and not dumb it down, but to show it as attainable. I, in Jesus, I can do that. I praise God. But but that ultimately happens because the Holy Spirit is our teacher, not because men are really gifted. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 26 says this. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing, and that's a big word today. We're going to kind of focus in on that word. But the anointing that you received from him, that is from Jesus, abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Let's pray. Jesus, we we are people of your anointing and i pray for nothing less lord than your holy spirit to come in and teach us the irony of this lord is for me to, to to uh try to teach about how you're a teacher father i'd rather just have you teach us show us guide us lead us today lord lift up the name of jesus your word says that he needed to be lifted up so that we might be drawn to him continue to lift him up before us lord that we focus in on our lord and our savior jesus in his name we pray amen Teaching and anointing, they go hand in hand. Unfortunately, the word anointing is, or anointed or anoint in our modern day and culture, in our vernacular, if you will, um, is misused. And the way I find it more, most often misused is, is anointing is synonymous with talent. And so if you hear a, a song on the radio and it's really good, all oh, those people are so anointed you listen to a pastor or a preacher and 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 he's very eloquent of words he's very good at what he does powerful speaker Oh, he's a very anointed preacher you see somebody proficient at something have a talent or a gift for something and and usually hear people say well they're just so anointed the problem is anointing isn't necessarily A measure of talent there are plenty of people on this planet who are very talented very good at what they do do things better than almost everybody else whether it's cooking sports acting uh, contracting uh, any kind of profession any kind of hobby there are some people who are above and beyond everybody else however the Holy Spirit isn't necessarily involved they might have a natural talent for something But that's not the same as as them being anointed. The people who we might listen to, the good songs and the good preachers and the good ministries and the good churches, they might be anointed. I'm not here to argue that point. My point is this. A gifted speaker may not necessarily be anointed. You look at somebody like Tony Robbins. I don't know his spiritual affiliation. I don't know who he worships. But he's known as being a gifted speaker. Without Jesus, though, this is not the same as being anointed. Okay, There are plenty of men. Uh, another one that comes to mind is Steve Jobs, recently deceased, uh, CEO of Apple, innovator of so many things. Every year, everybody coveted. Everybody longed to hear what he was going to say about Apple's next product. Okay, My understanding is that he was a Zen Buddhist, wasn't a Christian, Holy Spirit not involved, yet he could, he could deliver a speech that would captivate people uber-talented, super gifted, but not anointed. And so we've got to know, what does anointed mean? uh, John here talks about having this anointing, being taught by this anointing. What does that mean? Anointing, biblically, is being set apart. It means so many things metaphorically. It means so many things uh, literally. Uh, So if you go to the Old Testament, it was the way kings were, were crowned. You know, you look at David, he was anointed by oil. It represented him becoming a king. If you walked continuously in the hot sun of the Middle East and you went to a friend's house or you came home, you would take this oil that you had and you would anoint yourself with it to, to soothe your skin from being out in the sun all day long. You know, today, you know, with a, with weather like we have, some of us come home and we're, we're chapped from the wind, right? How many people here's hands are all rough and rugged because of this winter? You just wash your hands continuously. And, and you're trying to, to, to rehydrate them with oils and 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 creams and, and lotions and all kinds of stuff. And they're still they're just rough and rugged. Uh, nothing's changed in 2,000 years. Our skin still reacts to the elements in the same way. And sometimes anointing is just the supplying of oils to our skin. Anointing... And its most simplest definition is to be set apart. When David was anointed by oil, he was set apart from his family. He was set apart from his brothers. He was set apart for the service of God. You know, I think about like my guitar and this piano. You know, they don't get used for anything except for the worship of Jesus. They have been anointed, if you will, set apart for the service of the Lord. We have been anointed. So our next question is, well, how do I get anointed? How do I get this anointing? What do I do? We have been anointed because we believe in Jesus. Often in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is is used uh, or referred to as metaphorically as oil. That Holy Spirit has has covered us, been poured upon us, and set us apart, not to a third destination. God has not taken us from sin, you know, taken us from sin, And set us in some arbitrary neutral spot. He has set us apart from sin, Satan, and death to himself. There's only two places. There's only two sides. There's no third place where I'm indifferent. I I don't know. I'm indecisive. No, you're here or you're there. Okay. And as you are anointed by God, it sets you apart. You are identified as a Christian, child of God, loved by God, part of his family, part of his church this transcends all of your emotions you might not feel these things but this is what the Bible says about you by simply putting your faith in Jesus and what he has done on the cross you have been set apart for the service of God you are now a tool in the hands of the creator of the universe anointing is more than talent now anointing may include talent you know I think about worship leaders and speakers and and God takes men like Paul Anoints them so that he might be able to go and preach the gospel of Jesus. You know, in different gospels, he'll say, "You know, I don't, I didn't come to you with eloquent words. I didn't come to you with with the, with the gift of speech. I simply came and proclaimed to you the truth." And see, in that, Paul's insufficiencies and the people's rebellion or lack of understanding. Somehow the Holy Spirit takes that and teaches them and teaches us. The good news about today, the, 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 the big overarching message of all this goes back to our message last week. And, and a lot of what we find in this whole series is that because of what Jesus has done, we have been given rest. See, some of us have been studying the Bible for longer than I've been alive. And I respect you for that. And you have a lot of wisdom to share and wisdom to give in this community, community that we're building at this church. However, I know some of you come to me and say, I, I'm still struggling. Here, here's what I want you to do. I want you just to rest. It is God's responsibility to teach you. He might use me. He might use somebody on the radio or the internet. He might use a television program. You might see some lesson in something that you're watching and say, wait a minute. I... Something about this is, is, is reminding me of, of something I've read in the Bible, and it's becoming so clear to me now. You know, I was watching a movie. anybody ever seen the movie Blood Diamond? Great, great movie. Um, it's been a few years since I watched it, but there's this scene where, um, spoiler alert, if you've never seen it, sorry, um, this, this man's son gets taken from him. You know, it's set in Africa. There's these militant groups. They abduct these children, young boys, and make them their soldiers. And so this man, he's he's, he's looking for his son. He finally finds him, but so much time has passed that this boy doesn't recognize his dad. He actually wants to kill his dad because his dad is the enemy. And the dad just stands before the child and says, You are my son. You are my boy. I remember watching that and having this profound sense of the Father's love for us—that regardless of our rebellion, regardless of 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 where we've been or our station in life and the sins that we've committed, we have a Father who seeks to redeem us. It doesn't matter what we have done; all of it has set us apart from God. But yet we're confronted by this God who has sent His Son to die in our place. That we are—we are His sons; we are His daughters. And he's not afraid of our rebellion. He's not afraid that we've abandoned him because he has promised to never abandon us. See, something as simple as some movie that didn't even make a lot of money could teach you something so profound. I saw that movie like eight years ago. I still remember it like it was yesterday. Anointing means you belong to Jesus. How do you earn this anointing? Here's the good news. You don't. It's, it's part of the salvation package. If, if salvation came in a box in the mail, it would be inside the box, along with our new position in Christ, along with uh, a, an, empty, an empty jar representing our, our sinlessness or that our, our, our sins have been forgiven, You know uh, the love that God has for us. We'd also get anointing. Does this anointing leave us? Only if the Holy Spirit leaves us. And what did we learn last week? The Holy Spirit has come to set up and live in our hearts, to live in us till Jesus takes us home. So, so unless the Holy Spirit will leave, which he won't, we cannot lose this anointing. Now, we might operate in various levels of anointing. You know, I don't – I consider what I'm doing right now under the anointing of God. You know, that's up to you and your interpretation or whatnot. But when I go home, I don't talk like this. I don't walk around the house, hey, kids, you need to just give your life to Jesus. And they're like, I'm watching, you know, Diego, what's going on? What? Why are you yelling at us, Dad? Because I don't need to be anointed to preach like this in that moment. But the anointing for there would be my anointing in fatherhood or, or, or whatever moment I need there. When I go to the cash register, I'm not yelling at the, the, the cashier. You gave me the wrong change. Don't you know what the Bible says about crooked people? Like, no, excuse me, ma'am. Yes? Well, there seems to be a problem here. What's going on? No, the the anointing is different. It, 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 where it's needed, that's where we use it. Some of you, you're you're anointing you're you're getting your anointings mixed up. Like, I just gotta be raw all the time, carry my Bible and hit people in the head with it. No. In the out in the world, you're gonna talk to people, you're gonna love them and have Have relationships with them. You're going to talk to them about their kids and the weather and sports and how the Patriots hopefully will win the Super Bowl today. I see you over there, Harry, with your Seahawks shirt. Don't think you're hiding over there. I see you. You know, I wish they'd both lose. Let's just put it that way. They could just both lose somehow or just we could just forget that this day ever happened. That's fine with me. (laughs) And I thought you were a Philadelphia Eagles fan. You're getting me sidetracked i'm i'm losing my anointing here we go so so can we lose it i don't think that we can lose it any more than we can lose our salvation or the holy spirit in our lives you know so so what we need to understand is that we have been anointed and then as we go into life we get to talk to people love people be in community with people uh, sometimes our our, our 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 mistake is is not knowing when and how to operate. And really, for Christians, it causes us to be a little awkward. We're strange already. The Bible says we're a peculiar people. I think that's God's way of being nice to us. You're a peculiar people, set apart, a royal priesthood. Like, He's really going, these guys are weird. But we've been set apart and that we get to go out and show Jesus to people. People come to you, I'm hurting. Why? What's going on? How can I help? What's the problem? What is it? Is it? Can I can I give you a ride? Can I take you to the, this place? Can I be of some assistance in some way? Oh, I just had a baby. Oh, you rejoice with them. You know, not everything's a sermon, but everything can be an opportunity for Jesus to be glorified. Amen? And sometimes he's glorified in us just being loving towards somebody else. Here are some points about anointing from John, 1 John chapter 2. The first is this. The anointing is given by God. It's not earned or entitled. You ever met somebody with an entitled mindset? The world owes them everything. Nothing satisfies them. Everybody must do everything for them. And, and sometimes Christians act like that towards God. I'm entitled. I am entitled. I deserve this and God should do that and why aren't I getting my pony? And they feel entitled. The anointing of God is not an entitlement. It's something that God gives to his people. The, the Bible's clear that God's a giver of good gifts. Amen. I, I, I love getting a good gift just like anybody else. Getting a good gift is so much fun. Whether it's, whether it's a, 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 just a small reminder of somebody's love to you or something big and fun and fancy, either way, it's just fun to receive a gift. Amen. It's, it's good to give a gift to. But we praise God that he's a giver of good gifts. And the best gift, aside from the sacrifice of Jesus, because it all comes together, is the giving of the Holy Spirit. This gift that God has given us, we, we don't get it any other way. You can't pull it down from heaven. You can't earn it in any way. It's a gift of God through our faith. All, our only part is to have faith in Jesus. Not that he existed, not that he was a teacher, but that he is the, the price paid for our sin. Now, without Him we are set apart – we are not just set apart from God. We are apart from God. We are not reconciled to him. Number two, it abides in us. We talked about that last week with with how the Holy Spirit abides in us. Well, it only makes sense that if the Holy Spirit abides in us, the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit abides in us as well. It doesn't go away. He's not transient. You know what transient means? Like here one day, gone the next, in this place, that place, here and there. Now The Holy Spirit doesn't come and go. It might wane and fluctuate. We might feel him more one day than another, but that's not an indication of him leaving us. That's just an indication that maybe something's wrong. Maybe we, we have sinned or have something we need to deal with. Or maybe the capacity in which he needs to operate in us causes him to, to feel that way that day. And that's that's okay. This one I can't stress enough. It sounds hokey, kind of corny, but it's totally the truth. The Holy Spirit's anointing is supernatural. What does that mean? Natural would mean how we naturally are, but supernatural means that this is something that God does in and through you. Why don't feel it? In a sense, you shouldn't because it's a a sensory feeling that you don't have, like sight and touch and and smell and that sort of thing it's a supernatural act of god you might feel it but should you not feel it that doesn't mean it's not there the abiding of the holy spirit the anointing of the holy spirit is supernatural it doesn't come from human origins it comes straight from god and on one hand that might freak you out a little bit but on the other hand let that be let that be exciting Holy moly, the, the God of creation, the God of the whole universe, the one I read about in the scriptures, he's, he's anointed me, set me apart. It is him that identifies me. You know, just as, as a side note, the enemy, Satan, he, he's 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 an imitator. He's not a creator. You read throughout the Bible, you read about Satan, he's not like God who can speak and create. He's an imitator. You get to the 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 book of revelation and you've heard of the mark of the beast this mark of the beast whatever it might be there's if you you google it you will get a thousand and one uh theories and they're probably all wrong but the whole point is that these people receive this mark that sets them apart for satan whether they know it's satan or not they set they get set apart for the antichrist they get set apart for uh the works of evil in a sense it's the opposite it's just Satan imitating God, again, using his system, uh, That because he can't create. He can't make up stuff like God. The Bible says he masquerades as an angel of light. That means he's trying to copy the light that Jesus is. You know, Jesus, in, in Genesis chapter 1, says, let there be light. At that point, no sun's been created, no moon's been created, no source of light has been created that we get from the scriptures. Our assumption can safely be that this light that appears is this light that emanates from Jesus. This, this pure, holy supernatural light. Satan can't be that, so he just tries to duplicate it and fails. He masquerades as an angel of light. He's like a you know a dim light bulb with barely any electricity going to it. Number four, it teaches everything. The Holy Spirit teaches us everything He teaches us everything. And just in a moment, we're going to get to whether we need teachers, uh, physical you know, men and women teachers or not, but everything, everything. Some people say, well, the Bible is silent on this subject. It might be, but God will teach us about everything through his Holy Spirit, especially when it comes to issues of right and wrong. You know, I'd be hard-pressed and you'd be hard-pressed to go through the Bible and find a specific command – and I don't want this to sound any more controversial than it has to be, but to find a specific command that says that child abuse is wrong. Uh, with the exception of maybe Jesus saying anyone who causes one of these little ones to sin, um, that's about as close as you can get. But, but child abuse, that being a sin, but, but we know that that's a sin, right? We know that that's wrong. Like Nobody's going to stand up and say, well, the Bible doesn't say, and then we're just going to, well, go ahead and keep beating your kid then. No. We'd say, no, that's wrong. You're big. They're little. Stop beating your child. Stop abusing your child. And so, so we know things like that because of the Holy Spirit, the right and the wrong. Now, we do have commands that that or, or, or scriptures that say that you know, God has placed his commands on our heart, things like that. So we have this, this, this ability to know right from wrong. But the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And so whatever your issue is today, I believe that, that if you're at a crossroads, a, a, a fork in the road where you must go left or right, the Holy Spirit will teach you which direction to go. The Holy Spirit will show you what to do when you're confronted by, by this or that, A or B or whatever. The Bible teaches us about everything, especially when it comes to his word. I believe it's Hebrews chapter 4 says that the, that the scriptures, that, that, that they're sharper than a two-edged sword, they're God breathed. You know, this, this God breathe, that, that's synonymous with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not contradict what the Word of God says. The Holy Spirit will not teach what is opposite of the Word of God. You know, I was reading a false teaching earlier this week about from a man who said that, you know, Jesus is not, is not the ultimate sacrifice. Okay, that, con- that can't be from the Holy Spirit. It contradicts what the Word of God says. But what's our part That's that's the part that we struggle with, isn't it? Well, then what do I do? I keep coming to church, and the church keeps telling me, the pastor keeps telling me, there's nothing you can do, but I want to do something. What's my part? That's a good mentality to have, first off. People who are are lazy in their faith or or, or just not engaged or or maybe haven't been converted um, usually don't have that thought. People who understand that the gravity of the cross think to themselves, I must do something. And often they fall into religion and try to earn God's grace, but just that message in of itself is an oxymoron. Earning grace doesn't make any sense. Grace is given freely by God. It costs God everything, but he gives it to us freely. John says this in verse 27. Our job is to abide in him. Our job is to stay in Christ. How do we do that? We just simply do that by, by loving Jesus more than anything. Church, I want, I want you not to be just good people. I don't want you to be a certain political affiliation. I don't want you to give to certain organizations. I don't want you to, to love in a certain manner. What I want you to do is to love Jesus above everything. It's what the Bible commands of us, to love our God with our soul, mind, spirit, everything. To to see him as our all in all. That should the, the world, should Satan, should sin take away everything we've got, as long as we have him, it does not matter. That everything else, like the song, is just dust in the wind, and that as long as we have Jesus, everything's gonna be okay. He's the one who cannot be removed, he's the one that cannot be taken, and he's the one that is not scared of us. I love that. I love that my sin does not scare Jesus. It doesn't make me want to sin more. You know what it makes me want to do? It makes me want to be more holy. It makes me want to be more pleasing to him. If God's grace causes you to want to sin more, you've got the cart before the ox. You've got a mixed-up theology, and you've got to get that right. But our part is to abide in him. So John says you have no need for teachers. We're going to do a little bit of a theological make-your-head-explode thing here. John says, you have no need for teachers. But in Ephesians chapter 4, what does Paul say? Any Bible nerds here know what that says right off the top of, the head, off the top of your head? That Jesus, I'll paraphrase because I'm not as good a Bible nerd as I want to be. That Jesus has given us five titles. Apostles. Prophets. Evangelists. Preachers or pastors. And teachers. Okay. We don't need teachers, but God has given us teachers. So God gave us something we didn't need? Kind of doesn't make sense. Some folks will tell you, well, I can't follow Christianity because it contradicts themselves. If you press them a little bit, they won't know what they're talking about. They'll be like, well, that's just what somebody told me. Okay, so that so just ask questions. Don't be intimidated by, by that type of a, a phrase. But if they do have an example like this, Peter says that we have to be ready to give every man an answer, right? So what 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 do we make of all this? Well, let's take John's words and let's just blow them out a few verses. And generally, if you do this simple practice, you will learn things in context and things will make a lot more sense. So go to chapter uh, 2, verse 18. We're not going back that far. Children, John says, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming that that antichrist is coming don't, don't get that confused that antichrist is coming so so now many antichrists have come therefore we know that this is the last hour see some folks are very bent on the who is the antichrist was is it was it bill clinton like in the 90s is it bill clinton you know in the in the in the 60s is it john f kennedy you know is it bill gates is it barack obama is it, is it this person, that person? Was it Saddam Hussein? Was it Osama bin Laden? You know, was it some other person? Where? Who is he? John says this, and so many people who are in that sort of camp miss this, that the antichrist, the spirit of antichrist or antichrist has already come that those who reject Jesus that those who who aren't just impartial I don't know where I fall I'm still learning I'm just trying to figure out life Like not that but for those who are vehemently opposed to Christianity this is the spirit of Antichrist and that that spirit has already come in verse 19 they went out from us but they were not of us for if they had been of us that they would have continued They would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. The greatest enemies of the church very rarely come from the outside in. They start on the inside and then work their way out. They come in. They look like us, smell like us, talk like us, preach like us. But there's something there that shows itself eventually. And it's a spirit of antichrist, rebellion. Not all rebellion is good. Rebelling against those who don't follow Jesus or or would force us to not follow Jesus, that's okay. But to simply rebel for the sake of rebellion is not a good thing. It's it's a place where Satan can get a foothold. And these, these men that Paul is referring to, or excuse me, John is referring to, were people that started off in the church. You would think, why would there be enemies in the church? Because Satan knows where to infiltrate. He might be stupid but he's clever. And so these men with the spirit of anti antichrist they started out from within the church verse 20 but you have been anointed by the holy one and you have all you all have knowledge i write to you not because you do not know the truth but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth who is the liar but he who denies that jesus is the christ this is the antichrist who denies the father and the son But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, uh, just as it is taught you, abide in him. What does that all mean? It's the Holy Spirit's job to identify false teachers. We absolutely need men, women, ministries, churches who can teach us about Jesus. Who can take the word of God and give it to us in a way that is Attainable, practical. It, we're able to live it out. What John says is not that we don't need teachers, that we don't need to be taught everything, but that in this, it is the Holy Spirit's job to identify false teachers. In a day and an age of the internet and blogs that come for free, you can find any number of people who are against or are trying to identify false teachers. Dedicating their whole lives to the to the identifying of false teachers. I'm not here to say that that's entirely wrong. But for every minute that I focus on a false teacher, you know what I lose? A minute that I could be putting on the teacher. A minute that could be put focused on Jesus. A moment that can be used to be taught who Jesus is and what he has done and what he wants in my life. I I can only have so many minutes in a day. I've only got so many days in my life. And for every moment that I exchange from Jesus to put into identifying a false teacher, I I feel as though I'm wasting time. And you know what I find? As I focus on Jesus, the Holy Spirit shows me. I, I know that when somebody begins preaching, that's not biblical. That's not what the Bible says. That might be what they say, but that's not what the Bible says not because i have researched it not because i've gone into great lengths to figure out who these people are and to sort of go on my own you know christian witch hunt but because i've i've focused on the truth i've focused on jesus and i'll be the first to tell you i have spent more time on false teachers than i should have time that i cannot get back but hopefully i can redeem somehow to be used in god's service and so so don't be so you know cuz that's that's the intriguing part, right? Finding somebody who – I mean that's the part that kind of tickles our ears and, and kind of satisfies that part of our heart that we don't go to too often. And when we find somebody who's preaching the false doctrine and we just lay into them, man. Like we just – oh, like, I'm going to tell everybody about this guy. I'm going to tell him he's dumb and his kids are ugly and I'm just going to tell everybody. Like, okay, that's – it might be true. Maybe his kids are a little you know, hard on the eyes, but you're not really doing – you're not proclaiming the truth, you proclaim the truth, and you'll identify false teachers that way. We put this flooring in, in our house. And when you, when you put flooring in, and maybe you guys have done this before, you're under the assumption at first that everything is straight in your house. But then you put down these, sla- you know, these, these clickboard things, and then you get to the wall, and you're like, huh. They don't line up. Without that straight line, I couldn't tell the other line was crooked. If you just preach the gospel, the straight line of God, every other line will look crooked. Trust me. People will say, oh, well, what about this over here? They're not parallel. They're, they're going to conflict and somebody's going to win and it's going to be Jesus. This is not a, a command to disregard teachers. This is not a command to, to accept false teachers. This is a promise that God will show us. God will teach us who they are. But somehow, some way, we will be able to identify when someone is preaching uh, a false gospel, when they are the proverbial uh, wolf in sheep's clothing. Now, I, I know for me, and maybe you're the same way, when you find that out, oh, it just makes your blood boil. And you want to go on the internet. And you want to talk to all your friends. And you want to blast them everywhere you can. But if you're doing that, you're using your voice for that rather than the gospel. Does that make sense? And so we want to do everything that we can to use our moments to proclaim Jesus and what he has done. To, to let the gospel come out of our very lives as we live every day. To, to love like nobody else. To give like nobody else. To serve like nobody else. Because we have been served and loved and given to by somebody unlike anybody else. His name is Jesus, and he's done more for us than we could ever do, and now we get to be in his service as well. The good news is that teaching, whether it's me up here, one of you guys stepping up to teach one day, listening to the radio, internet, whatever, podcasts, blogs, whatever, the teaching is not up to us. You know, like I wake up this morning, I know all kinds of things are going to happen. Some people aren't going to be here, things like that. I get that. And my first thing, my first thought is, ah, it's, everything's going to fail. But then I'm reminded, wait, it's not up to me. The teaching's not up to me. Somehow God takes my big jumble of words and, and I dump them on your head and God gets the ones into your ears that he wants you to hear. And so at the end of the day, however many people we have, is how many different messages are going to be heard today? I came in with one sole purpose, and God's going to take it all and make it all a message for each one of you individually, and they won't contradict one another. They'll all work and flow together. It's amazing. It's something only God can do. I have people coming to me all the time, Pastor. When you said this, blah 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 blah, and I'll be like, I didn't say that. What were you? Were you even at our church on Sunday? Like what? Where did you hear that message? But I can't say that, right? Like in my head, I'm thinking this. I'm going, "Thank you, Jesus is good," because I can't accept praises. Jesus is good, blah blah blah, give the whole spiel. But I'm thinking in my head, like, what? Okay, I can see where they might have got that, but I don't remember saying it like that. That's awesome. That's great. It's not up to me. See, if I if I ever called on one of you to teach, you'd freak out probably and be like, "Oh my gosh, you're going to teach!" But it's not up to you. You come up here, you get the little music stand. And you, Jesus is good, and He loves you hallelujah, pray, all right, good message. That could be all you said. You have know, people coming up to you saying, you know, I was really reminded of Jesus' love for me, blah, blah, blah. blah. And you'd be like, what in the world? It's not up to you. Your job is to abide. Your job is to proclaim. In the 2,000 years since Jesus has left us, it, it, physically, the gospel message has not changed. There, who was it, Solomon in Ecclesiastes? There's nothing new under the sun? The gospel message is not brand new. It's the same message we've heard from Genesis all the way through, that Jesus has died for our sins, that God has saved his people by his own acts, by what he has done. gospel hasn't changed. We change, our culture change, we fluctuate, blah, 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 but God never changes. So the message never changes. All we've got to do is proclaim that message. The Holy Spirit is that translator that takes my words or the teacher's words and makes them suitable for your hearts. I heard a quote once, and I don't know who said it, but I give them the credit if I knew who it was. I have access to your ears, but God has access to your hearts. And I'm okay with that. You know Have you ever what kind of close with this? Have you ever heard a song on the radio? And you hear it, doesn't matter if it's a worship song or just any other song, but you hear you're like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. Like, I love music. I do. I love music a lot. But, like, you're driving, some song comes on, like, what? And you got to let your spouse or your friend or somebody hear that song. I've got to make somebody hear this. And then you sit them down, you know, you bring your phone or your computer or whatever, and you're like, listen to this song. And you're waiting, a minute goes by. Wait to this part. Wait, wait. Hear that? And they just look at you like you have two heads. Like, that's great. That's a really good song. And you're like, well, let's listen to it again. Let's listen. To it. You, you play it again. Yeah, I, I don't hear what you're hearing. It's so frustrating, right? Like, can't you just see how great this is? You know, this is this is the this is the epitome of music. You can't make anything better than this. And the other person's like, I I, I don't hear it. Christianity teaching the Bible can be like that sometimes. I read this verse. Isn't it so great? And people are like, well, I don't no, I don't know. Without the Holy Spirit, that's what we'd be left with. Just a bunch of people trying to teach each other a bunch of stuff we don't get. But since we have the Holy Spirit who's not bound by our physical limitations. Now listen to this. He's not bound by our physical limitations. He somehow flourishes in our limitations. So much so that Paul says he has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. It's not up to us. I simply proclaim to you and I rest that he's going to take this message and use it. You can rest that Pastor Tony doesn't have to speak like Tony Robbins and have a slick tongue or anything like that. He's just a, he just said that message and the Holy Spirit's teaching me. The Holy Spirit's job one of his many functions, one of his many offices is to teach you. And that should cause you to go a little bit easier on yourself. I'm all for pushing. I'm all for you know being awesome and things like that. But at some point, you've got to rest and say, wait a minute. I've done everything I physically can. I need Jesus to do so much more than I can do. That's a tough place to get to, but it's a great place to get to. Amen? So let's stand this morning. The message that we proclaim is is a simple one that though we were sinners Jesus died for us that before we ever loved him that he loved us church Jesus loves you break that phrase out of the mold of being a cliche and be reminded today of how much Jesus loves you so much that he would take A horrible, horrible death on a cross in your place be beaten and bruised for your sins. Not that you would feel guilty and then give your life to Jesus, but to see the depth of his love. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you, but the Bible tells us that we love you because you loved us first. The Bible tells us that because we were sinners, we were set apart from you but that while we were still sinners, you went and died for us. Lord, I thank you today that that in our faith and belief in you, that we have not been left alone like orphans, but you have sent us your Holy Spirit. Father, today reacquaint us with your Holy Spirit. Take the message of your gospel and teach it to us all over again. Show us in the weeks to come, in the months to come, challenge us to, to trust you more to seek the holy spirit to seek his teachings to to if we are in the trap of looking for a false teacher that we would be convicted to w- put all of our time back into finding our creator the one who loves us the one who has died for us and lord we love you today not because not because we have to but because we want to and jesus just a small confession on my part i am so thankful that it's not about me it's not about us. It's all about you. That even, even the words that have been spoken today must be taught by you to your people. I rest in that today. I trust you in that today. And I look forward to you doing so much more with this little, little offering I have so that your people may fall in love with you even more. We give you the praise today in Jesus' name. Amen.